Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. My name is Tyler. Of course, we're with Pratik and Nick. Today we're on episode 114 and we're going to be kicking it right off um, with Pratik. So what's going on? So Joe Biden named in 2017 email to Hunter seeking China natural gas deal. So Joe Biden's name was mentioned throughout an October 2017 email found within Hunter Biden's laptop seeking to firm up a controversial multi-million dollar deal to ship natural gas from the United States to China. In the email, Louisiana attorney Robert W. Finette told Hunter and his uncle, first brother Jim Biden, that he had secured a contract for them at Houston Energy Company Chernier, the Daily Mail reported Friday. In emails with Finette, Jim Biden referred to the Biden's clan's investment involvement in the project, which involved supplying millions of tons of liquid natural gas from Louisiana to Chinese state-backed conglomerate CEFC Energy. Although Biden had reportedly denied involvement in, the, um, son, in his son's China's business dealings, records from Hunter's laptop and witness testimony suggest that he was aware of, if not directly connected to, the transactions. Nevertheless, President Biden has a history of ties with Charnier's executives. He named former company lobbyist and Vice President Ankit Desai as his political director in 2005, and the former board member Heather Zichel became his campaign climate advisor in 2020. Jillian texted Bobolinsky after Hunter referred to his father in a group text as my chairman, don't mention Joe being involved. It's only when you are face-to-face, I know you know that, but they are paranoid. Bublinski alleged to have met Joe Biden to discuss the China deal on May 2, 2017 in the lobby bar of the Beverly Hilton with Hunter and Jim. CEFC chairman Yi Jinming and his number two Patrick Ho ultimately funneled over $10 million into the Biden deal before they were arrested in 2018 for bribery and corruption for trying to bribe African leaders in chat. A voicemail on Hunter Biden's scandalous laptop revealed that his father called him in the wake of a December 12, 2018 New York Times story on his connection to the shady businessman, where he said, I thought the article released online is going to be printed tomorrow in the Times was good. I think you're clear. And anyway, if you get a chance, give me a call. I love you, Biden told Hunter. The entire revelation is a new blow to Hunter and Joe Biden after Hunter has been revealed to have access to Joe Biden's Corvette in the same garage where classified documents were improperly stored. So, Nick and Tyler, what are your thoughts on this new um, revelation involving the Hunter Biden laptop and the email that calls Joe Biden the big man? Well, this is why... You shouldn't suppress stories. Even if you think there's some sort of disinformation, I don't think it's right to immediately shut down stories like the Hunter Biden story, um, the laptop story that had come out a few years ago, because these things can have real impacts. And that was leading up to the presidential election with Joe Biden and President Trump. So all, all that I'm learning from this is some shady stuff did happen. We shouldn't be censoring information, especially at Twitter where it happened here. Um, But otherwise, I mean, this is kind of what everyone thought was happening. We knew that, for instance, Hunter making on a bunch of uh, chair seats in Ukraine. He's having dealings with China and all that. I mean, we kind of knew something was going on, but it's good to get some sort of evidence that this is happening. And now if you are a Trump supporter, you can fire back and say, look, they haven't found evidence of wrongdoing on our side. But in your case... There's a lot of things that are going wrong, and the Republicans can really use that in this next presidential election. Nick? Yeah, I don't think the story matters at all. 
Um, I think in terms of the Hunter Biden stuff, absolutely. It should have been looked at more seriously than it was. I think that was a major failing of Twitter, of the press, and just of the general political climate at the time. Uh, but nevertheless, in terms of this story, he wasn't in office anymore. He wasn't the VP. This was him as a private citizen. And of course, if you are a you know popular person in political power and in government, the second you're out, all of these politicians do the exact same thing where they end up working with companies and using their political connections to make these deals happen. That's their entire value is their connections to the government. Every politician does this. I don't think this makes Joe Biden uniquely bad. If he was in office and did this, I think it would be a huge problem. But again, because this is 2017, he wasn't in office anymore. He was a private citizen. I don't think this matters. Furthermore, you could say, you know, this is pretty credible because we all know what happened with Hunter Biden and the Ukrainian natural gas company. The fact that this is another natural gas company trying to go to another country that the United States has sort of, um, you know, difficult ties with. I mean, it all sort of lines up and seems to make logical sense. It seems plausible. But again, even though personally, I don't know, I, I would be a little embarrassed if I just rode my entire career on the coattails of my parents who were politicians. Frankly, I just it's sad. But, you know, that's Hunter Biden's life. He has a sad life. I feel bad for the guy in many ways, but also he's a total screw up. And I really do think he should have just lived in a cabin in the woods and just taken time to chill out, reevaluate his life and just stop being such a burden on on the family. But all that aside, maybe that sounds harsh. But again, I the fact that he wasn't in office when this happens, I don't think this is against Joe Biden. He, he wasn't a burden. He was a pawn. But I know Pratik's got a lot to say about this. Pratik. So uh, my thing is, so in terms of Hunter Biden, because Nick said that, I think that's the same thing you'll find with many of the politicians, family members, or many of the people that are from these prestigious families. They're all It's all somewhat nepotistic, how their situation is. You can date back to the royal family of England, where it's the same exact thing. Like, there's nothing special about Harry, but he's the prince, and he was from the... Um, royal family, hence he's important. Harry is uniquely stupid. Let's let's yeah, be real here. Who gives them, up being yeah. in royalty? Yeah, but all okay, of them, though. Prince Charles, same thing. But in this situation, like the whole Kennedy family, the whole Bush family, the Clinton family, the Obamas, it's going to be the same stuff. You could say the same thing about Trump, even though it's not really related to politics because they were already popular before Trump decided to enter politics. But I do think in all of this context, the way that you said that, you know, this is not that important because he was a private citizen. You can say that same claim about various various scandals that have dealt with Donald Trump that they have gone head over heels over trying to find more information about, whether that's Stormy Daniels, whether that's his tax records, whether that's stuff that Trump was involved in in the past, whether it's failed businesses that Trump was engaged in, whether it's things that Trump did in the past, whether it's stuff that Trump said in the past, whether it's his taxes that he didn't file on certain years, all of that stuff is as relevant as this story is because it's more about the judgment and the character and the moral character of the person more so than anything that they did in office. Like, I can't date back to see all the stuff that they've actually proved on Trump when he was in office that were shady. They do say that, oh, he was involved in, like, you know, right now the Mar-a-Lago stuff and then the January 6th stuff. But both of those in instances, they still haven't found any relative information to prove that there was that, you know, shady to begin with and whether Trump was directly involved in terms of the January 6th riots. Otherwise, we would have known about it and we all had those debates and that's fine. But my point is, is that the same argument that could be made with Trump 
can be made with Biden on various instances. And with Hunter Biden's like, you know, rise to fame, much of that can be attributed to Joe Biden because Joe Biden was a sitting senator and had connections that helped Hunter Biden get to where he did. Then he also became the vice president. When he became the vice president, that was Hunter Biden's climactic moment on his career and what he was able to accomplish was whenever Joe Biden was vice president. And now you have this email after Joe Biden was not vice president anymore. And to me, that's fair. But my only argument is that it's very hypocritical whenever you're willing to go head over heels over everything that Trump has done in his entire 40-year career. While with Biden, they're not willing to go the extra mile to talk about what he did the year after he was vice president president in the year before that he ran to become president of the United States. I know it's a gap year, but my point is that this was much more political related. He had much more involvement, which came from his political connections, as opposed to previously when he deal with people like Donald Trump, because Donald Trump was a businessman and had nothing really to do with politics prior to getting involved in the 2016 presidential campaign. I do think that the you should look at this stuff in the same equal level i do think is somewhat hypocritical that the news particularly in my opinion focuses more on the trump stuff than they do on biden because even if Trump was a has-been president and maybe a future candidate. Joe Biden is the current president of the United States. And no matter any of the previous presidents we look at in terms of scandals that they may have done before, going back to even like Bill Clinton who had like rape scandals that were taking place while he was in office of things that he did before he entered office, or even things that were going on with certain candidates like JFK and Richard Nixon in the past, I do think that whenever you're in office, you should be given more credence to any stories that are negative or positive about you. And when it deals with certain stories like this, it's just a bad stain on his character, on what he did. Because the fact is that if this was George W. Bush and this kind of stuff happened, or if this was Barack Obama or this was Donald Trump, there have been certain things. I feel like Barack Obama was given more of a clean slate than any president in the history of the United States because he was an African-American president. Not to say any stains or anything on him, but he did have one advantage that everybody else didn't have. I do think, though, in this situation, you should do the same. You have the same precedent to Joe Biden as you have with Donald Trump, because if you did go ex the extra mile with Donald Trump, you should do the same exact thing with Joe Biden, because now that's the precedent. Whatever happened in the past is the past. The last president you went after head over heels. So every president after Joe Biden has to be given the same level of credence on any story that he's connected to, whether or not they're in office or not in office when that story would happen. That's just my thoughts. And, and this happened while they were he was out of office. But we do know that Hunter Biden, starting in 2013, was working for certain Ukrainian agencies. And he had earned up to $11 million a few years working with them. And we don't know all the details of what went on there. But it does point to possibly some, some fishy situations. Possibly that's why Biden wants to give so much aid to Ukraine. That's a conspiracy theory. I don't know if it's true or not. Um, Nick, any closing thoughts before we move on? Yeah, I think the Ukrainian story is separate and more serious than this. Again, I just think due to the timing of this, I'm not surprised by it. It doesn't seem outside the fold. And I don't know. I If I push back on critique here, I know we're going to get wrapped in the usual <laughs> arguments that we end up getting into. But I did want to say for Barack Obama, ah, man, we haven't really talked about this too much on the show yet. And I don't know. I seem to remember, you know, kind of growing up while he was president and seeing things on TV, no no one was happy with him, 
okay? Obamacare was seen as this huge scandal. Fox News, all the conservative pundits hated the guy, saw him as the downfall of American society, pointed to things like um, race relations during his tenure, worsening, and overall just, you know, it was like the economy, race, the environment, energy, like everything was seen as like Barack Obama's personal fault, which I don't think was really fair, but... I don't know. I just wanted to say, Pratik, it's not like he was given a pass by everyone on the planet. Maybe our perspectives are just different. I remember living in the Obama time because I was involved in school politics. And I remember the same level of treatment that Obama got that no other president has ever received. Like, you would be called a racist if you didn't agree with Obama. That's the first thing. You would be looked at as a racist before, before you even talked about it in that context. Like, you said something against what Obama is doing, people will look at you the wrong way. And I remember, like, I felt this kind of discrimination in classes. Like, sure, I'm the same race. I'm, I'm a different race than the, the most of the white people that are Republicans. But my point is, is that I felt that context where I felt discriminated against because I'm a Republican whenever Barack Obama was in office, because Barack Obama was an African-American president that was in office. It was just like, you had to like the guy. If you didn't like the guy, there's something wrong with you because Barack Obama is like the greatest human being to ever live. Like he sounds like a God. He like is a God. He looks like a God and he's black. Like, look, this like is the thing. Like, I don't think anyone said no, Barack Obama is, though, looks like, like a god. He's like one of the lankiest guys you've ever seen in your life. But, I know. No, I mean, but, look, but Pratik, I'm not context. here to say that. Yeah, I'm like, just, I, I get I, what I totally you're saying. I just yeah. felt like in my perspective, it was a little bit different because I feel For like sure. Barack Obama was given a much higher pedestal than any president before him. Like, yeah, like we can criticize like things that Bill Clinton did and Bush did and like Trump did. But they were all given like heavy criticism whenever they were in office. Like Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton was like seen as the rapey dude. George W. Bush was seen like an idiot because they always tried to talk about him like he was some idiotic, stupid guy. And he did said stupid things, but hey, they Let's all not did. <laughs> pretend like Obama was loved by everyone during his time. I I personally never felt like any sort of prejudice against me for not supporting Obama, at least where I was from. Maybe that was the case where, where you were at at the time. I personally hadn't yeah. experienced that. Uh, but he was criticized a, a lot on many different things, even the thing, even the, the gay marriage thing. Like there were many True. things that Republicans were certainly going after him for. What I will say is I think the Democrats rallied around Obama, unlike they had with other presidents. But I actually think that speaks to how charismatic he was and how powerful he was as a speaker, as well as a figure, a unifying figure. And maybe it had to do with this race uh, partly. In terms of charisma, who would you rather pick as the head of your party? You know, Joe Biden in his early 80s or Barack Obama when he was young and charismatic like it's not even a contest you see that's the question and all that stuff is why is why is Joe Biden the cream of the crop candidate for the Democratic Party and why can't they get anybody else to even get more than 20% in terms of polling we'll data? see this year well, we'll, like, we'll see this year when they well, run here's the thing we got Joe Biden can he even handle classified documents we don't know so next story up here we got FBI searches Biden's Wilmington home and finds more classified materials so I'll just dive through this one 
FBI investigators on Friday found additional classified material while conducting a search of President Joe Biden's Wilmington, Delaware home. Bob Bauer, the president's personal attorney, said in a statement that during the search, which took place over nearly 13 hours Friday, quote, DOJ took possession of materials it deemed within the scope of its inquiry, including six items consisting of documents with classified markings and surrounding materials, some of which were from the president's service in the Senate and some of which were from his tenure as VP. The DOJ also took for further review personally handwritten notes from the vice presidential years. Those six items are in addition to previously found materials at Biden's home um, in his private office. The federal search of Biden's home, while voluntary, marks an escalation of the probe into president's handling of classified documents. The search shows that federal investigators are swiftly moving forward with the probe into classified documents found in Biden's possession. This was overseen by the office of Trump-appointed U.S. Attorney John Lausch, um, who had been handling the initial review of the Justice Department's probe. The FBI search was done with the consent of the president's attorneys, people briefed on the matter had said, and did not require a warrant or subpoena. Robert Hur, who was appointed a little more than a week ago, will be the special counsel uh, to this investigation. These six new classified items were found in the room adjacent to his garage, garage, the revelation that the FBI found additional classified documents after Friday's search of the president's personal residence in Delaware is stoking increased scrutiny on Joe Biden's handling of sensitive and in some cases classified information. This is obviously a continuation of the story we had discussed before, but it's classified documents. And it's really mostly important because the same thing had happened to Trump, but Trump was actually raided by the FBI for his supposed classified documents. Um, so what are your guys thoughts on this escalation um, on the story here? I don't think anything changes. I think, you know, each time this goes through, Biden's approval rate is going to go down the tubes. And I know Pratik said Biden is going to be the front runner, but I think this story just goes to it's another piece of ammunition that both Republicans are going to use against Biden as well as Democrats, where Democrats are going to say internally, look, you know, Biden's catching a lot of flack for all these random controversies that are coming up. You know, we need someone who is a little bit cleaner, someone who is younger and someone who, you know, has potential higher approval ratings. And I think that's how they're going to approach it. I know there's always going to be some political ties and, you know, who's friends with who. But I mean, let's be real. Joe Biden running this next time around. Really hope he doesn't do it. <laughs> I think he would only run if Trump did. So if Trump doesn't run. I would be very glad to see Joe Biden not run because, Tyler, like you said, this is a continuation of this previous mishandling of classified documents and, you know, staking that as Joe Biden is so different from Trump and then having something similar happen. Again, I think what Trump did was worse, but having something similar happen does no one any favors and I think weakens the Democratic Party's chances of reelection. So I think my views are different from a political and a personal perspective. I think from a personal perspective, I think the media provides an unequal coverage of Biden and Trump where Trump has been heavily criticized in, in a, to a higher extent than most presidents have in the past few decades, while with Biden getting unequal coverage, it reinforces my personal perspective on the partiality and the unequal bias between both. And the reason I say that is like the news looks at these stories in a different way. Whether or not there's so much similarities between the two stories with Trump and Biden, the news will talk about Biden as making a mistake and, you know, we'll try to push it on the side. While with Trump, they will argue and escalate. And even all these stories that talk about Biden, they will bring in Trump because that's just what they do. Like this always about trying to make Biden look better than he is. 
And the reason I think that's important is because, as Nick alluded to, like, I believe that Biden will be the candidate. And the reason I believe that is historical. There has been no sitting president that has ever been primaried by anybody in their party, historically in the history of presidents, unless they decide not to run. And if Biden decides not to run, then it is fair game. Like, then what I'm saying means nothing. But the chance of him deciding not to run is very slim if you look at it from the political context because he kind of has to be the candidate because there is no other candidate that can continuously and successfully defeat Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis in terms of polling data right now. Again, polling data changes. It's all is not stagnant, but I do think that's important. Now, I do think in terms of this other stuff, like if you are an incumbent, you have a higher chance of re-election. So everything that you do as a candidate, I mean, in the end of the day, because you're an incumbent and you've won before and you're currently in office, you have much more ammunition to play with. And it's probably going to give Biden an edge over Trump anyway because he's the current sitting incumbent if Trump ends up becoming the candidate. But there's more like chances that Biden will be the nominee over Trump or DeSantis because we don't know who will win in that race. But with Biden, there's much more clarity because there's an 85% chance in terms of historical data that if Biden runs, he will win. And there's no president that has ever been primaried by their party, as I said. So then that's the thing here. My only issue is that politically, you have to hold both parties accountable. It's good that you investigate one side, but then if you investigate the other side, make sure that you're investigating them to the same manner. If you're going out of their way to investigate Trump and raid his home and doing all this stuff to try to show accountability and try to be transparent about everything, that's great. But if you do that, then you have to do the same thing with Biden. When you no, you when don't. You don't do oh, that's such garbage. Trump you, did not want them to go into Mar-a-Lago. Fine. I don't so care if he did or not. It. Biden openly invited them to go to his home. Okay, I don't think they have great. to raid his house. But my if, point like, is, my point is that you, you don't have to be the exact same because it's different. You should have equal investigations. You shouldn't sure. provide more leverage to one side or another. And my main thing is, is that there's a much higher chance that Joe Biden is going to be the future of the party because he's the current sitting president. As the current sitting president, you have to give him much more like scrutiny and criticism as you would with any of the other previous sitting presidents because there's nothing special about Joe Biden as any of the previous presidents. He's the current president of the United States and hence you should give provide more scrutiny and you should do more investigations to hold them accountable. And the fact is, is that more than likely he's going to be the candidate that runs again because he's the sitting president. So as the sitting Maybe. president, and there's more chances that he will than there's not because there's never we'll, really been we'll many see. sitting presidents that have sat out I, apart from critique, Jimmy Carter. But he's I think. also but he did. I sat no no. Force him out. James K. Polk, the twelfth president of the United States in the 1830s, was the first president to ever not run for re-election as an incumbent. <laughs> Every single other president after James K. Polk has. So my point is that since the twelfth president, right now you're on the forty-fifth president. 
45th or 46th. But you're on that number president. You have never seen somebody not run for re-election. So the chance of Joe Biden not running for re-election is more rare than him running for real than him like I mean, him not running for re-election is more rare than him running. And I do think that in this whole context, if you're gonna give Trump all this criticism as a has-been where he's no longer in office, but he's still getting as much presidential coverage as you're giving Joe Biden, if not more coverage, then I do think that you need to level that playing field because Joe Biden is more likely going to be the future than Donald Trump is based on current polling data, plus the fact that he's an incumbent. So I do think that that has to be taken into account. That's my only thoughts. That's my whole thought process on this whole thing. That's that's fair, but Polk didn't run because he was in bad health. He, he promised he wasn't going to gonna seek his second term. No, but I'm saying like yeah. he he said that very early on, and he was in exactly. bad health and, and all the what rest I'm of it. Is but no Joe Biden is super has, old. But what I'm saying is no other president that has been Let's sitting get has not ran as an incumbent. But here's the thing, Nick. I I agree with you on a personal level. What have you seen data-wise that, that indicates that people actually care how old Biden is? Because, like, personally, we see all these things that he does wrong. He mismanages classified documents, all, all the rest. He, he, when he speaks, you know, he, he'll just say random stuff sometimes. We have a Biden gaffe segment for years. But even with all that, do we have data supporting the fact that people think he's too old? Because at least even with Trump, Trump's like 78 years old. He's not a spry young chicken, and he still has plenty, plenty of support. So it seems like yeah. that is not not a primary issue of the American public, even if it should it be. It is, though. Okay, go ahead. So I, I, I think it, it right, should so be, but I haven't seen that Biden Harris poll. Yet. Let's hear it. Biden-Harris poll, right? They, they do it pretty consistently every single month. Harvard, sorry, not the Biden-Harris. <laughs> the Harvard-Harris, <laughs> Harris being the University of Chicago, right? They do this poll, and they, they've asked people every single month, like, what, what are your doubts about Joe Biden? And there are two things. One is he mentally fit to serve, um, and... In January, for example, 41% of people polled said that he is mentally fit. 59% said no, he's not. Um, in terms of whether or not he's... The question is, do you think Joe Biden is showing he is too old to be president, or do you think he's showing that he's fit to be president? And 63% of respondents said that he's showing to be too old. That's mostly GOP independence, 73%. 73% of the independents surveyed say that he's too old. It's across men, women, white, black, Hispanic, every age group, urban, suburban, rural, every single group of people, aside from Democrats, which I guess is the issue. They're only at 36 percent where they want to believe Joe Biden is not that old. But like every group of American here is basically saying the man is too old and I'm concerned that he's so old that he shouldn't be president anymore. But he's now. But, oh, well, I was he, just he, he's, I was he, he's say, not old enough to warrant to warn people changing to another candidate one-on-one -on -one, yeah. though, because every one-on-one -on -one pulling against as any, against anyone else, no matter how young they are, they lose. So to yeah. me that and it's Biden has constantly been winning so. in the polls. As I've said, he's number one, even in this Harvard Harris first, but you're poll, right. That, that's what the data asked for. Kamala Harris is 12%. Kamala Harris is his vice president. So if he's going to run, she's going to be his running mate. So that's like a mute point. So that's basically saying that around 50% of the people are willing to support Joe Biden and Kamala Harris over every single other candidate. Well, even the if they disagree party. and they think he's too old. Right, even well, if let's they say think he he's doesn't old. run. Yeah. Pratik, let's say he doesn't run at all. Yeah. And we're going on this Harris poll, right? Kamala is number one, which is pretty surprising to me, honestly. I know she had a strong yeah. start in the Democratic primary last time around, but then she kind of 
fell very quickly and dropped out of the race, you know, unceremoniously. So I don't know. I'm just surprised that she's that high. It's sort of like Joe Biden, where when Joe Biden ran for president multiple times, he never did well. And then once he was Barack Obama's VP, then all of a sudden people are like, oh, maybe he's not so bad. Maybe I like him. So I don't know. Maybe this is me just having my blinders on regarding why people like Kamala, because I genuinely... I, I don't know. It reinforces my go, point. But... All that reinforces my point, though. They're both incumbents. The only th- the thing that separates what Joe Biden's situation was and Kamala Harris's situation was is the fact that they both ran after serving as vice presidents. If Kamala True. Harris runs, now my point is is that they can be garbage presidents. It really doesn't matter. The fact is that they've served. Incumbents do well. Yeah, yeah. and because you're, they've you're been right. in office, they have a much higher advantage than everybody else. If people like, know about Hillary you, Clinton is on this list. She didn't yeah. run. Yeah. She, I mean, she would, never was vice president. She was a secretary of state and done many various political positions. Senator, but she's yeah. number three. To She's number four to the Joe Biden thing because Joe Biden's number one at 35, Kamala's at 12, Bernie's at 11, Clinton's at But I just think it's too early to know, right? Like we haven't had the primary yet. No one's announced their real candidacy. So on the Republican side, for example, do you say, you know, DeSantis is running? If DeSantis doesn't run, like who else is going to do well? That would be a missed opportunity. No, people don't like Mike Pence. Is it going to be Ted Cruz? No, people don't (laughs) like Ted Cruz. And on the Democrat side, it's like, yeah, again, I just think it's way too early to really just assume that it's going to be Biden-Trump. I think it's going to change in a couple of months once people start announcing Maybe, that they're seriously but, going to run for president Nick, and once we get to the debates. My logic has always been, and again, these polls change. They change. My opinions about it will change. But you're looking at the stats the way the stats are. Well, you can make now, predictions. If, Come on. if they change, that's great. But I'm not predicting any changes until the changes actually happen. There is a chance that when Mike Pence declares, he's going to get like 15% more of the vote. I don't foresee that, but I can't predict that until I have the stats to prove what I'm arguing. I think with the stats at hand, and generally with historical data, with Biden's side, is much more clear cut compared to the Trump side. Because with the Republican side, sure, Donald Trump is an incumbent. He previously served as president. So people like the guy. People may not like the guy. But in the end of the day, he served. So he has an advantage over everybody else. But DeSantis is giving him a run for his money because right now it's 48-28. And then Mike Pence is at 7. But on the flip side... If Joe Biden is the number one and if Kamala Harris is the number two, that signals something that because Joe Biden is the incumbent president and historically speaking, incumbents have always won their primary races, Joe Biden is led to win. And Kamala Harris, because she is supposed to be the reflection of Joe Biden as the vice president candidate, she's number two. And I think there's more clear cut on your on the Democratic side than it is on our side, where with the Republicans, like I argue that it's going to be Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and everybody else is kind of random. But at the same time, that might not be the case. You can't you remember when it was in 2015 where things changed whenever like Jeb Bush and Scott Walker were the top two primary contestants. But even at that time, Hillary Clinton was a leading incumbent. Be, er, leading challenger on the Democratic side. And the reason is, is because she was one of the top leading figures within Joe Biden's cabinet. 
I think in this situation, it's the same kind of thing. Because Democrats are currently in office, whoever are the incumbents and whoever is the person that's the incumbent's vice president have a much higher chance than everybody else. That's all I'm saying. Political perspective. I'm not trying to put any personal opinions in there. I'm looking at the stats. Let's get Tyler in well, on this, no, Tyler. No, I just want to – let's transition the conversation to something a little more broad. I, I Let's talk about what do you guys think is going to be important in the – like what are – what is the American public looking for in their next president? Because we'll think back to 2020 when Biden got elected. It was – a a lot of it was just – you know, a vote against Trump. A lot of it was COVID was still going on. It was wrapping up. Are we handling COVID okay? What are the issues leading to this next presidential election that are going to matter? Obviously, we have Ukraine. We have the economy. Um, I, there has been some stuff about immigration. But what's going to be the most important thing? Because maybe that determines um, who is or isn't going to be running in this next election. Because as much as I would like to say Biden is a surefire lock-in as yes, depending on how things go in the cultural zeitgeist and the political landscape, I could I could personally see that changing up. I don't know if it's likely, but I could see it happening. So what do you guys think is going to be important in this next election? Because I, I think that will give us good insight into who we should be looking at in terms of who's going to be popular in this next vote. I think my context is just that I just look at the stats as they are. I'm not make a prediction, goddammit. Predict. We want to we want to hear where you're in the future, is not right now. Be, make a bet. No. My prediction is going to be that the incumbent is going to be the candidate that runs and then wins in the end because okay. he's an No, incumbent. but the issues. Forget the incumbents. The what are the issues? The issues are obviously the economy, how everything is going for in policy things that are going on in terms of social issues, the climate, I guess, depending on how many Democrats vote on the climate, is not really a Republican issue. Then you have certain things going on with energy policy, issues that are with, with in terms of like gas prices and that stuff, inflation. That stuff, in my opinion, matters much more than some of the other things, just because I think that everybody lives in the economy if certain things are happening in the economy that makes it much worse for certain groups of people than other groups of people, I do think that's going to influence how things are going. As I said, you've talked about electric cars being the replacement for oil gas powered cars. The issue is that there's not enough infrastructure out there. So that's a challenge. So with gas, I think is very important. With inflation, I think it's important. In terms of wages, I think it's important. In terms of the economy, that's important. In terms of like, if people that are employers can find employees, that's also important. So I think the economy is the number one and then foreign policy. However, Ukraine goes is going to influence how people think about Joe Biden because foreign policy is one of the main things that a president can control. They can't control everything, but they have much more control over foreign policy than anybody else inside the realm of foreign policy. So I think how whatever goes on in terms of foreign policy with Biden, that could also lead to stuff like what's going on with OPEC, Biden's conversations with Saudi Arabia and how all that stuff is confusing and Iran and things that are going on in terms of South America with some of our you know, competitors and allies there and then the Middle East, obviously. But I think primarily right now the focus is on Ukraine. So Ukraine will be the big story. People are going to forget about Afghanistan because the Democrats control the media. So that's not going to be as big <laughs> of a story. That's not why but I do think I do think that in terms of the more closeness to stuff going on, I think that's my issues. Nick, what's your thoughts? Um, so I think it's different for different groups of people. I think yeah. 
the shared attribute is the economy, inflation, jobs. Those three are like the golden goose of any political party where like if they nail those three in terms of solid messaging, where they get the American people to kind of support them and believe that they're going to do a good job, I think they're going to do well. Traditionally, that's been Republicans that are seen as strong in the economy. That's part of the reason why Donald Trump was put in office. He's seen as a businessman who's going to help out the economy. You know, that's kind of the messaging there. For the Democrats, I think women's issues, like women's reproductive rights, and I think gun control. I think those two are going to be big issues for Democrat voters. I don't know if they top out the economy. Probably not. I think economic security is going to be number one. But those are close second and third issues that Democrats are going to care a lot about. Republicans aren't going to care about those two issues in the same way. Like, they're not going to go out to vote maybe for those guns. issues, I don't think. More than abortion, um, but guns, maybe. But but I think, I think what Republicans care more about, just based on national messaging, sure, you always have the NRA campaigns and you always have these candidates saying, you know, I support the Second Amendment and, and all that stuff. But I think the biggest issue for Republicans, aside from the economy, is going to be immigration. I mean, you see all these different state governors from Florida to Texas, Arizona, all, all over southern portions of the United States saying like immigration is a huge issue. We have all the stuff with busing immigrants to kind of northern liberal cities um, to sort of raise awareness about it as PR stunts. Um, and I don't know, I, I could just see that as being like a big thing. They're going to say immigration and probably crime. You know, Democrats are going to say gun control is something that matters, but Republicans are going to say crime. So I, I get that they wouldn't want to take any um, measures in terms of gun control and reform, but I still do think crime is something that Republicans have always touched on. It's always been sort of a winning issue for them among their constituents. And I think it's something that gets people out to vote, especially if there's data to back up, you know, recent up uh, trends upwards in places like New York City and other places. So, you know, all you have to do is really say like, oh, my God, it's going back to how it was in the 90s. And then you're going to have a flood of voters saying like, wow, you know, I know some anecdotes and looking at the data, this seems like a big deal. But again, economy is number one. But yeah, Tyler, I can see law critique. enforcement being a big issue, too, as you said. Yeah. And not mm -hmm. necessarily guns, guns, but law enforcement as a whole, like, you know, broad topic. Republicans tend to be strong about trying to increase the amount of, you know, uh, resources that you provide to the police them being able to handle certain situations more trainings given to the police and then like all the stuff that has been going on in certain places dealing with crime to crack down on drugs and all that stuff i do think that you're right um i do think one thing though that i'm not one of these constituents because these republicans will be varied and diverse the same as democrats but i do think some people are willing to go out of their way to protect their gun rights i do think that that is a major issue for a lot of republicans it's more of like a freedom thing they believe that they have the constitutional right to have to, to bear arms hence they should be allowed to keep their guns and not have more restrictions pinned on them. And that's what you see in a lot of the places like Virginia right now where you have a lot more activists on the gun side that are act fighting for protecting gun rights than you do on the flip. So it is interesting. It's a state-by-state -state issue. States that are more battleground states, you will have much more of a push from both sides. 
And but again, I'm not one of those constituents, so I can't really speak about what are all the policies dealing with gun rights. I just think that it's a big enough issue that could sway people's votes. And especially when more Dems start pushing more gun control policies, that's angering a lot of these Republicans that are opposed to any type of gun control policies. Well, well, the thing is, like when you have events like the uh, murder of 10 people that happened in Los Angeles last night, um, when you have these big gun violence events, I think that motivates voters to go out in the near term and vote to say, look, I, I want there to be changes on guns. Um, without one of those precipitating events being near a campaign, I'm not quite so sure. For example, you mentioned the Afghanistan stuff, Pratik. I think if Afghanistan happened right before the election, I think it would be a very salient issue and people would go out and vote on it thinking about Afghanistan. But it's just been so long and it's faded from the headlines. Like you said, there's all these other things going on. I don't know. It's the same way that coronavirus was a huge campaign issue between Joe Biden and Trump. But now, you know, people are kind of chilled out on it. Yes, I know cases are going up and that's not great. But, you know, we've already lived with it for a few years and it's not getting drastically worse. So it's not really like a huge political issue right now uh, for people to be voting on. But so it could I think be. every cycle you just have these these things that'll spin up. But yeah, Tyler, to your point, that that is true. It could it could be if it gets a lot worse. The reason I think it could be is because if Biden is successful in Ukraine or Ukraine is successful, the Republicans can point towards his huge, disastrous failure in Afghanistan and say he actually doesn't know what he was doing. He was just following guidance in terms of Ukraine. But look what happened in Afghanistan after 17 years of trying to develop that country. And it falls within a month under his reign. I mean, that really is I, a big point against it. I think the biggest thing that benefits Biden as opposed to Trump is the news media. And I keep saying that, but the news just dictates what we think about. And I say that, you know, in like, you know, it's it's a good thing for Democrats. They know how to control the news media. If Republicans knew how to control the news media, they would have probably won the last election. My point is that they control the news media, so they control what you think about. Had this been the flip side, and had Donald Trump been the one that had this big disaster in Afghanistan where we went out and then the Taliban took over and like, you know, led to all these people losing all the rights in Afghanistan, that would have been a huge storyline. But it wasn't Donald Trump. And the reason that Joe Biden is not getting that same level of criticism is because the Democrats are better at controlling the news narrative. It's a good thing for them. I just argue that the news should be more bi like less biased and should be equal. But the fact is that that's what gives one side an upper edge over the other side. So I do think that this kind of stuff dealing with, um, you know, what's going on in Afghanistan and things, that's not a big enough story for the Democrat, for the news side to bring out. And the only reason even this Hunter Biden stuff came out is because the whole Twitter thing. Other than that, there wasn't like that much stuff pushing the Hunter Biden laptop story either. I just think that's because the media is better at controlling the narrative and Democrats are better at controlling the media. And all we see in our regular day lives is what is thrown at us from the media. So the news media is much more important than any of these actual individuals doing anything because it influences how we think about everything. That's just my thoughts. And especially like my thinking is most of us people are political. Well, all of us are political people, but most people that vote in these elections are apolitical people that literally live off of headlines and determine what they're going to do based on what they've read and what they've seen on TV. And 
All of that stuff is dictated by the news media. I don't think any individual is more important than the news and what differentiates some be the best like, you know, political campaigns has been the news media. You can even go back to play people like Reagan in the past, go back to the older Eisenhower days, and that's what made FDR remain president for four terms. Like that's that's the signaling factor in. Well, I'm going to fire back a little bit cuz I so I I agree that the media media has a great influence, but how media is distributed is so vastly different than it used to be simply because we're basically funneled into algorithms and then we see art articles based off the algorithms that the network determines we're going to like or not like or whatever um but if you are conservative you're getting mostly conservative headlines and if you're liberal you're getting liberal headlines i don't necessarily think it's such a clear-cut case of everyone's listening to the liberal media, therefore we're all tainted by their views and absorbing it because I think there's plenty of conservative outlets. And even if, like I said, you're, you're apolitical, you're not actively engaging, if I'm slightly more conservative-leaning just in my searches online, I'm going to be fed content that kind of affirms that, that belief. So I... I don't see it as the same issue as it used to be. When you had three newspapers controlling all the information, it, it was a massive issue. But today, that's simply not the case. And while they're very influential and these big networks do get numbers, and you're right, if I'm just passing by, I see a headline, maybe that's the only headline I've seen that day. But on the other hand, I think uh, just as, as constituents get more information from different places and there's less centralized information, it's harder to say the Democrats just control everything. I will say, though, Democrats are much more media savvy than Republicans, and that yeah. is pretty clear to me. And there's not, I'm not saying that. I'm also saying the fact that they have more news agencies that are controlled by Democrats. And the more prestigious things that most apolitical people listen to, and the reason I say prestigious is like most of the people that are regular people are going to be watching certain channels. Is going to be like, oh, CNN. What is CNN saying? NBC News, Fox News, ABC News, CBS. Like, there, there are certain channels like that that was what most regular people watch and listen to as opposed to political people that are going to go listen to Sean Hannity on his radio show. Like, I just think that, you know, political people are different. Regular people are different. Political people already are going to vote a certain way, but my point is that the media controls what the regular people think about regular day things. And whatever they think about is going to determine the election. And that's what I think is a big pulling factor that Democrats have handled for the last like two, three decades since the Reagan administration time that has given them an upper edge in, a many, in many cases in many of these presidential elections. But that's also not the case all the time either because the whole Bill Clinton drama and the stuff going on with Al Gore and the Bush election, at a certain time, the Republicans did have a better edge on the media. But most recently, it since at least since Obama has been president, the media has always generally favored the Democratic side. And until the Republicans figure out how they're going to control that narrative, Democrats have an upper edge. And it's a good thing for Democrats. That's what makes them better than the Republicans in many <clears> contexts. <throat> There's things that differentiate both parties. I just think that's a plus on their side. More so than, you know, any criticism, just saying. That's fair. I do. One thing I would be really curious to know is what the political breakdown is of all the creatives in these news and media companies. Like, I, I would just assume that most people who skew, you know, towards wanting to work in news, wanting to work in graphic design and video and editing, I would assume that most of those people tend to be a little bit more liberal 
than conservative. So I wonder if there's just like self-selection bias to a certain extent. Um, but again, I, I'm not really sure how it shakes out. I mean, you listed a lot of really great examples. And I don't know, I always like to point this out, the fact that Fox News gets way more viewers than everyone else than CNN. Well, obviously, like because any, they got, they've only got one conservative outlet as opposed to like it, 20 different liberal outlets. still the viewers. I know, you but know. I'm just saying that that's an advantage. If the Fox News people get like 2 million viewers and all these other people combined get like 6 million viewers, the other people combined have a much more push than the 2 million viewers because that's just the Republican people watching Fox News. I guess I've guess i never seen a Democrat watch Fox News. That's my point. I watch CNN. I watched MSNBC. How many Repo- how many Democrats are Why going you watch out of the way to watch Fox News? Sa- savvy Democrats it's, it's will, in will use Fitness. all news sources. When I go just work like out, it's like one of the TV channels up there. CNN's always everywhere. But look, though. it's not... <laughs> I, I, I want the audience to, to understand that, in, at least at least in my opinion, you have these companies like The Daily Wire coming up online that have millions of viewers. They get millions of viewers. And I yeah. think that trend's only going to continue and... Um, decentralize the media landscape as a whole. But some someone that's been really good about controlling the narrative up until it wasn't George Santos with all the chaos that's been going on with him. So who here wants to take this story? It's I'll still, take the story. There you go, Pratik. So the House GOP Steering Committee on Tuesday recommended that embattled Representative George Santos, Republican from New York, sit on the House Spall Business Committee and the House Science, Space, and Technology Committee according to sources familiar with the assignments. Santos's assignments to the panel comes after multiple members of his party have questioned on him to resign over his admitted fabrications about his work history and education, questions about his campaign finances, misleading claims of Jewish heritage, and reported charges in Brazil related to checkbook fraud, which Santos has denied, among other issues. The recommendation from the House GOP Steering Committee, a panel of around 30 members of House leadership, and elected regional representatives will have to be approved by the full House Republican Conference. The conference typically approves the steering panel's recommendations. Representative Roger Williams, Republican from Texas, the newly assigned chairman of the Small Business Committee, of which Santos has been appointed a committee member of, has said, I don't condone what he said and what he's done. I don't think think anybody does, but that's not my role. He was elected. He represents a million people. Before his resume fabrications were revealed, Santos told New York um, One in November that he hoped to sit on the House Financial Services Committee. Based on my 14-year background in capital markets, said the House Foreign Affairs Committee, based on my, I guess, multicultural background as a human being, I think there, this would be natural fits, and those are all what my, where my passions lie. Santos said at the time. (laughs) Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, declined his call on Santos to resign and said the freshman lawmaker would sit on committees. I try to stick by the Constitution. The voters elected him to serve. If there's any concern, he has to go through the ethics. Let him move through that. McCarthy told reporters last week referring to the House Ethics Committee. McCarthy added, he is going to have to build trust there and he's going to have the opportunity to try to do that. Santos is currently under investigation in New York but has not been charged with any crime in the US, um, by U.S. lawmakers in the past and has continued to serve in Congress and on committees until they were found guilty of a crime. So, that's the story. So, what are your thoughts on George Santos? Um, so, me and Pratik had gone back with like a ton of messages about this guy. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to get into all of it, but for me, it boils down to, 
are we going to, you know, as a country, as political parties, stand for anything anymore? Because at this point, you're putting a guy on these committees, whether, you know, it's precedent, whether you just do that with new congressional members, it doesn't really matter. It's been confirmed. He's lied about almost everything on his resume. He was elected on false pretenses. And now that he's in office, the Republicans are saying, it's just numbers, guys. We can't lose his seat to the Democrats, or that's a bigger issue than cutting off this cancer from our party. In my opinion, it's a big stain on Republicans. It's a stain on leadership, and it just goes to show they don't actually care about the American public or who's representing them as long as they have an R or D next to their name. And the GOP is, to me, this is absolutely disgusting. I had made the point before, if Hitler was elected just because he was elected and maybe the House seats are tight, they wouldn't kick him out of office office because they couldn't lose that seat. It wasn't worth it. But that view of politics just doesn't work for me in the short term. I don't think it works because the headlines look awful in the long term. No one's going to trust you. They're not going to trust the leadership you elect. So, I mean, I can keep going on and on, but the fact yeah, that they're putting I, I this guy with Tyler in any way. point of leadership is just disgusting. This guy is a crook. He's a con man. We know that for sure based on what he said and his resume and all that. This is documented. We know what this guy's done wrong, but because we can't get two-thirds of the congressional members to vote him out, oh, well, he's a number. We got him on our side. So, Pratik, why is this, this okay? Is thing. I Again, we could talk about all these people. But in the fact is that we've elected rapists to be in office as president. We've elected the current guy who has engaged in a lot of corruption scandals that are that are still coming about in terms of what has been going on with things that he got involved in with his son. That hasn't mattered. We've had Trump as president where people have always all this kind of stuff to say about Trump, where he's already been declared guilty before they have enough evidence on January 6th. We've elected all kinds of people. My point with politics is like on a personal degree, sure, I kind of agree with you. George Santos is a messed up guy. I think he should be removed and he's done a lot of sketchy things and he got elected on false pretenses. All great stuff. Now, from a political perspective, I think it's a little bit different. Don't, you don't, don't say from numbers. a political perspective. It is. Say, say from a realist look, or Machiavellian perspective because no, no, I see, can look at politics differently. Like yeah, I can look at it from an ethical perspective. perspective. But sure, my political sure. perspective, okay. I have personal opinions, but my personal opinions isn't going to influence how I think about politics because politics is different. Think about it this politics way. Politics is all of, personal opinions. Yeah, That's the no, whole thing. Because That's no, all it is. Because it's not. Because there's only two parties. You don't have multiple parties. You don't have multiple opinions. You don't have multiple like different viewpoints that you can take because you only got two options. Now, in a black and white world, because politics is a black and white world, no matter how much color people want to throw on it, there's not that much differentiation in the House numbers. You only have, It's a very tight House majority by the Republicans. If they get rid of this one guy and give him less committee assignments and give him less of a role or potentially remove him from a two-thirds vote, which they probably don't have, otherwise they may have done that, I do think that unless because the numbers are so tight, you can't just play around with numbers like that. Plus, there's a they chance don't lose the majority a election. Plus what what, what numbers? Be... You you lose one guy. You have a ten yeah. seat difference. There's I no agree. there's no numbers difference. This all Again. comes down to how greedy and you know disgusting these GOP leadership. Yeah, are. I don't think so, because look, the fact is that you've had situations like this where if you don't have enough seats and you don't have that much of a majority 
And most of the situations like these that have taken place historically has been based around do they think that the person that they would, you know, would step down would win their re-election? All of that stuff falls into place politically. More so than anything that we, I can have personal opinions about. Because, yeah, personally, I agree with you. Why is George Santos there? He's a fraud. He's a con man. All this other stuff. But these stories are three-month stories. Most people are not going to remember these stories. George Santos is a rep. He doesn't influence what anybody else does apart from the, you know, Long Island constituents that he that elected him. Those people are probably not going to elect him again. And half of the issues that have happened have happened because New York State Commissions and the people that handled the elections have done a pretty poor job. Along with the GOP, but at the same time with the GOP, you're just a red dot. It really doesn't matter whether George Santos is there or not there, or whether you replace him with any other 10 Republicans that could be in his spot. Because in the end of the day, you're a red dot and you're going against a blue dot. And there's certain blue dots and red dots that don't always fall on board, but those red dots and blue dots are on their way out. That's the fact, unless you're in the Senate. So I do think in terms of my political perspective is different. I don't think there's anything special about George Santos. I do think that this could be a stain on the party for the next two months, but the election is not in the next three months. The election is in the next two years. So by that time, no one's, everybody's going to forget about George Santos. You're probably going to have some other war that we get involved in, or we're probably going to have something else that happens, or our inflation is going to go through the roof as it has been, or you're going to have the economy shut down. Before, more people are more worried about that stuff than they are about George Santos. And I think from a political perspective, as opposed to a personal perspective of what I think about George Santos, it really does not matter in the long context because George Santos is just a red dot he's gonna be primaried out in the next year or so by some other Republican dot and then he's gonna be replaced it's really not that important the only thing about these committee assignments too is historically everyone gets put on a committee unless they like have like death threats or something like that that they engage on other reps which that one person Marjorie Taylor Greene was one of those candidates that actually got removed from committee assignments but most cases everyone gets a, gets to become a part of the committee and what Kevin McCarthy said about the House Ethics Committee that committee matters because the committee can decide that he's no longer going to be a member of a committee and then he will be removed I just think that is not a very big storyline as much as the media is propagating it to be because George Santos is just a red dot. Come one, come all. Come all con men on the left and right. If you can find a way to get into office, we will not remove you. We'll throw you in leadership positions because you're on our team. You're just a peg. You're just a, a dot. But you're on our team. Member. Yeah, but you have some sort of power that you didn't Everyone's have before. A committee member until they get replaced by Look, the House. Ethics you could have raped people. You could have murdered people. That, you could have lied about everything. You could still be removed. There's nothing special about George Santos. That's fine. That's if the fine. House Ethics Committee decides that he's not fit to be a, to serve as a member of the committee, he will be removed. That's what happens with every single other candidate and representative. I gotta finish. It has nothing to do with that. It's. Now, let's say you're a GOP, let's say you're a GOP constituent. You're going to vote for a party that's willing to put this guy on committees, knowing how scummy and criminal and fraudster Obviously. he is. They're willing to do it because he is a number and he will help their game. They don't yeah. actually believe, they don't stand for anything other than being in power. Power is the ultimate end goal. And because of that, vote for mm. our party. It's no, a terrible no, look have, for the party. If, Why if, would you vote for a party? The whole point of politics is to have someone that represents you and your values. And, and what they're doing is saying, look, this guy, 
just because he's in office, the system failed and he's in office, then we can't do anything about it because, you know, we're just, you know, we're just politicians and we play the game and we're all playing the game here. So it actually doesn't matter what we're doing as long as our team wins. At the end of the day, I can't think of politics like that, even from a realist perspective, because I don't think it helps them long term. I think people see through that. I don't see this as being a three week, three month story because... It, stand, it's, it signals something greater. It's the fact that you're not willing to stand for anything at the end of the day. Because only if, the only times you can actually stand for something is when you have to give something up. And in this case, and, you'd be giving up that seat, knowing full out, well, it would be the right thing to do. And the fact that they can't get the majority of people to do it is awful and disgusting. You don't have a two-thirds majority. You don't control what every red dot does in the House. The main issues that you said... The problem with it is you only have two options. Somebody like Nick is never going to vote against the Democratic Party because in the end of the day, they're the people fighting against climate change. The same reason why it, somebody like me will never vote against the Republican Party. Are we playing party. a team sport or are we playing politics? That's You all. only like, have two options. If you had like 50 options in there, yeah, sure, but you only got two options. You're going to vote for the one side and the other side's always the devil because they're opposed to the I, main things that no, you're in agreement No, it depends though. Pratik, I genuinely think that the moral arguments do end up mattering. For example, you have a candidate who... If a candidate is like very out there about torturing dogs, I think a lot of people would be like, oh, wow, like, sure. Yeah, but I agree I with the politics, but they're just not going to vote. They're just going to stay home. And, and that's what's going to happen. It's it's not you either vote for this person or you vote for that person. It's, oh, wow, this person is such a crappy candidate and human being that I'm just not even going to vote for them. And that's how it ends up playing out. But you will get you're just not motivated out. to say anything. But that's my point is you will get primaried out in a year. If George Santos ran on ran on all these false pretenses, people know that going in and they will vote him out. But the fact is that this is really only a Republican people thing. The people that are in the Republican Party are going to be the ones primarying him out. The people that are in the Republican Party are probably going to remove him from being on any committees once the House Ethics Committee goes through their processes. The fact is that they don't have enough two-thirds of a majority, so they don't have enough Democrats to eliminate this guy. Hence, he's still there. But I'm saying they should anything... have the two-thirds. Yeah, maybe. The fact that they can't maybe. get that yeah, is yeah, a that's terrible great. thing. But you have to have 60 some representatives you have to have not 60 you two-thirds of whatever that amount is yeah like of people 435 like four, yeah, that five, agree yeah. with i was trying to think senate but for the house like you have to have that <laughs> many people that would support you should be able to get that many him. people you that's should. great but they don't hence he's still there they can remove i mean him Pratik, from being if this a wasn't the house committee. would you care more yeah like if but he was elected the to the senate or something if else this was the senate i would care more but this is the house the House, you're a red dot or a blue dot. You really don't matter. The House Ethics Committee still has to decide whether they're going to remove him from being on any committees. They probably will. There's nothing really is. There's not really a story here. It's just Democrats are crying sad because they don't have enough votes to remove the guy. And with the Republicans, I get it. But every Republican dot is different from every other Republican dot. Even though they got a good amount of people that would be Republican dots that want to say that he want they want to eliminate the guy, they don't have enough votes. Hence, he's there. Again, from a personal perspective and from a moral perspective, I agree with you. But from a political perspective, there is a reason why he's still there. He might be removed from committee assignments based on what House Ethics says. And I think that's the best way to go about it because that's just how our system is. He, he's always a squatter. Been. He's a political squatter, is what I'm hearing. And he's, yeah, he's okay to stay in office for a few years because he found himself in that spot and he's not going to move. Like, that's just, he to me, won. that's no for argument. Two years, you have to stand with the guy because he won. Unless they remove him and they have to have enough voters to remove him, and clearly they don't. 
It doesn't matter about, if this was the Senate, I would care more, but this is the House. And the fact with the House is, you're voting, these people from their specific district are voting for this guy to be in office. They may still like the guy, even though he lied on these false pretenses, but we can't say that, you know, it all happened because of X, Y, Z, because there's much more complications to that, in my opinion, especially from a political perspective. Yeah, so I mean, we're we're just gonna disagree on this, which is fine. Um, just from my political lens, I I need the party to stand for anything because what moves a political party forward is their values, beliefs, where they're going, why I should follow them. So when I see something like this, it tells me that's not leadership that I should follow. They're playing a silly game. They don't care about their constituents. If they cared about the people living in that district, they would do something. And that's all I have to say. Maybe maybe that district changes in the future. Maybe they will go Democrat because they've seen what's going on here. But one thing that I yeah. think is interesting is like as you're seeing a lot of these personal allegations come out, I, I don't know. People say a lot that, you know, in the future with uh, new generations growing up with the Internet and posting things on social media and because nothing's ever truly scrubbed from the Internet, you know, this stuff is just going to stick around. Um, it, it's sort of like. I wonder if this same type of conversation stuff would apply to future generations where the San like Santos here, he grew up in many ways with the internet. He's a younger guy. He's not that old. And yet still, despite all those things being out there and despite it being public record, for instance, like it's just a weird story, for example. Like the guy is gay. He was married to a Brazilian woman for about seven years. And at the end of that, he sent out some engagement invite for him and his boyfriend at the time, which apparently never even took place as an engagement party. Like the entire story of like who this guy is, is so bizarre. And like the more you peel back the onion, the weirder and weirder it gets. And I just wonder like, who, who really is this person? I just <laughs> and, and I guess, like, I psychological. Like, I saying. And so I think funny. that's part of the reason too, who, is that is again, from a moral perspective, from a personal perspective, I agree with you. I just think that politics is much more intense and more detailed out that it's not as much of a clear cut answer. I do think that what will happen because George Santos has lied about a bunch of stuff, there's going to be more news stories that come out about George Santos, which are going to be stories that are going to put him in a worse light. And you're never going to be able to verify some of these stories because he's lied on everything to begin with. That's that whole Kant model, the Emmanuel Kant philosopher guy. If you lie about stuff, then it comes back and bites you. That's this guy altogether. But I think yeah, the caveat I, is... I don't know how far you can take Kantian philosophy. I, think, I mean, if you're taking like the whole, oh, you live in a house, and there's someone else in the house with you that you care about, <laughs> and someone comes up with an axe, the back door. and they ask, <laughs> where, where is this person that you live with? Do you lie to them? The person has an axe. There's context. Like, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> hey, but in Kant's model, it always works out. That's the thing, okay, man. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, but let's move on to other stories. So in terms of this, in terms of the House, we know the Santos stuff, and we know that they've selected their committees. On the flip side in the Senate, which, in my opinion, if Santos has been in the Senate, I would have been much more, like, you know, strong, stronger opinionated about in this situation, they have seen a lot of women that have been giving getting positions for the first time in the most powerful spending committees. So there are currently 25 women in the Senate. Many of these women are leading committees in the Senate for the first time. 
Committee leadership is determined by which party controls the body and leading members will be the members of the majority party. So because Democrats control the Senate, the leading members that are the chairwomen of the Senate are going to be Democrats. And on the flip side, the highest ranking member for the Republicans on these senatorial committees is known as a ranking member. And they're the people that are second in line to the chairperson of those committees. And every committee has a chair and a ranking member. And the ranking member, as I said, will serve as the vice chair, basically. In the Senate, Washington Democrat Patty Murray is the new Appropriations Committee chairwoman, while Maine Republican Susan Collins is the ranking member. They are um, taking over from two longtime male colleagues who retired last year. Senator Patty Murray will also be the first female president pro temp, which is um, the third in line to serve as the president. The president pro temp is the longest serving member in the Senate and they have priority over other people because they've been in office for the longest period of time. These are like hardcore establishments. And Murray has also been selected to chair the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. While Democrat Amy Klobuchar, um, she was one of the candidates that ran in the last presidential election, will chair as the Senate Rules and Administration Committee, properly popularly known as the Rules Committee. Democrat Senator Debbie Stabenow of Michigan will chair the Agriculture, Nutrition, and Forestry Committee, and Democrat Senator Maria, Maria Cantwell from Washington State will chair the Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee. And then lastly, Republican Senator Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia will be the ranking committee member of the Environment and Public Works Committee. And Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski from Alaska will be the ranking member of the Committee on Indian Affairs. These are just, you know, cool thought, cool things to know about because, you know, these are the first women that have been given the ability to chair senatorial committees. You only have 100 senators that get elected, and 25 of them are women, so that is a quarter. So out of these quarter women, these are the women that have been chosen to be members, have been chosen to be the chairs and ranking chairs of these committees. Yeah, and it's still a pretty recent thing to have women really in the Senate. I mean, 1922 was the first year where a woman was appointed to the Senate. She lasted one day. And then the next one who was actually elected was in 1932, I think, or 1933. So it's been less than 100 years for women to actually serve in the Senate. And in those 100 years, there have only been 59 women who have actually served in the body. And this is at the 25% that you mentioned. That's the highest it's really been historically. Like, it's never broken out of the 20s. It's This is really pretty high um, compared to years past. But Tyler, I don't know, what what are kind of your thoughts on this? Do you think this sort of marks a trend where, you know, are we eventually going to hit like 50-50 parity? Is it going to flip where there's eventually more women in the Senate? Or do you think, you know, it kind of just freezes out? I don't know. What do you think kind of the trends are? Obviously, this is a big deal uh, historically, but how do you see this changing in the future? Well, there, there's obviously trends towards more women in leadership. I think that's a good thing. About 50-50 parity, I mean, maybe, maybe that'll happen. I I don't think I don't know. I don't think that should be forced and it would take a very long time. But maybe some down somewhere down the line, that could be the case. It's a good thing that the women are are in charge. They're getting their seats. Like you said, it hasn't been that long since they've had these leadership positions. I think it's better overall for representation of the public, because obviously you have around 50 50 men and women in this country. So it absolutely makes sense. Now, historically, more men have been in charge than women. Is that something that's cultural or societal? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Not a discussion I want to have today, but it looks like it's trending like we have more women in politics. I think that's probably a good thing. 
So speaking of that too, 59 women have served in the Senate to date. So that is an important number. And historically, we haven't really had that much women representation. Things will change. I think that nowadays, whenever there's more rights given to everybody, um, you will have different forms of representation, which will be taken over by people of all different types of ethnicities, races, and genders. So I just think that you're moving into a better situation because now you're electing people of all different types. Mm. And now we can have more equality as we vote to send tanks to yet another war zone. Pratik, what is going on there? So the- and sorry, that was a little bit, that was a little glib of me, <laughs> I suppose. I do think it's a good thing that more women are serving on these committees. I mean, you look at someone like Cantwell. I mean, she's just been a force on the Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee for a while. So the fact that she's, you know, the chair of it now, I think it was DeFazio in the past. Um, but, you know, again, it's sort of, you can see these people's careers really progressing and becoming the chair of a committee. That's seen as like a very prestigious thing and something that people take seriously. So just wanted to say that there. It's not just, you know, that angle, but it's also the fact that most of the women in both bodies are Democrats. You're sort of seeing um, new senior leadership within both parties. But on the Democratic side, you're seeing more senior women leaders, which I think ultimately will change how the party approaches certain issues, whether that's uh, women's reproductive care and health or um, just health care more broadly. I, I just think it's going to end up changing over time as you get uh, more women onto these committees. So I just wanted to have that as Do a, you really well. think so? Because, I mean, even on the abortion front, plenty of women are, you know, pro-life, pro-life. let's say. And it's, hard, it's not really a gender Not on split. the Dem side. Not on the Dem side, sure. But no, overall, no, we're saying yeah. Republican women. Yeah. Overall, I'd... yeah, but more, the majority of representatives who are women are Dems, but and change. on the Dem side, but on the Dem side, not... aren't they already mostly um, like for that, like for having allowing abortion, like is that pro-choice? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. it's probably not. I'm just saying, much. like, it ends up changing in terms of the numbers of it, the numbers of people voting. I think like a Dem woman would be more inclined to vote for something like that as opposed to a Dem man. Okay. For, ex- you think for so? example. I don't know. But Maybe. I do I, think, genuinely, yeah. I do think that that's changing. You're getting a lot more women elected that are Republicans inside both houses. And I don't I don't think that trend is ever going to really die out. You even have certain candidates that have ran for president that are women that are Republican. And I think that sooner than later, you will have a representative that will be elected as president. That will be a please not Kamala. Carly, please not Kamala. Nikki Haley is as like prominent of a figure that would potentially run if she declares these other women that have ran. I do think that we've had a lot of options within both parties too, like Michelle Bachman in the past, Carly Fiorina. And, you know, what is it? You've had in this situation on Democrat side, you have Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Hillary Clinton. I do think that this like this is a good trend. I don't think that this trend will ever go down. I do think though that you're gonna have more equal representation from both parties that are women. I don't think that that's gonna like not happen. I do think that that will happen eventually. Yeah. I also thoughts. think I don't yeah, know I one thing. Just as I'm thinking out loud on this. One other thing I think you see in the polling, and I assume this would extend to representatives who are elected as well, is you do see gender splits on gun reform. You know, in general, women tend to be more in favor of having legislation regarding guns as opposed to men. So I I know there's the whole political party aspect of it as well. But even within the political parties, it seems as though more women tend to be more in favor of changing up the gun laws in this country. And so I, I just wanted to offer that as well, no, where a, it's like, okay, point. what are the actual ramifications behind having a gender split? If they all have the same ideas, like, does it really matter? And that it's like, and well, healthcare. it does matter a little bit. Well, he, yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Nick said healthcare before, yeah. 
Thank you everyone for tuning in to part one of episode 114 of Politicana. Part two will be released in a few days, so please stay tuned. Take care.